Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast, where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We will have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! We're in the section of the Spire Performance where uh, we're really taking a look at relationships. And just as a reminder for the listeners, we've covered physical health and environment, security, mental health. And now we're at this tricky spot called relationships, as I define it, developing and maintaining satisfying and fulfilling connections. Mm-hmm. And in my work with people, I work with them to perform at their optimal level as something. And for many people, that area is actually relationship. So it fits two different mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. It's part of the growth areas, but then also for some people, it's their goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their performance goal. They uh, have a relationship and their main reason for seeking treatment is to enhance their relationship. So it fits in a couple of different areas. Crystal, yeah. you are a relationship expert. And so I'm happy to have you on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am a marriage and family therapist based out of Austin, Texas. And my passions are sex, trauma, and couples therapy. So with that focus, I've developed my own model for working with couples that's trauma-informed and attachment-based because relationships are so important. First of all, I think it's great that you created a model. I find that some therapists dabble in couples therapy mm-hmm. and just incorporate the, the models that they already use and just just adapt them to working with couples. I tried that too, and it didn't work. <laughs> I'm, I'm being very transparent. <laughs> early on in my career, I dabbled with couples therapy. You know, I was probably fairly effective, but I, I learned early on that couples therapy is, is it's a niche. The stakes are high in couples mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily something that you should just dabble in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your model. How do you work with couples? One of the things I found, because you're exactly right, you know, there's there's a lot of different types of couples therapy. And, you know, when I was doing my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, I found, you know, I found value in a lot of them. But I wanted to find something that worked for me that would be a little bit more cohesive. So it didn't just feel like I was kind of throwing different strategies at couples, seeing what sticks. Um, So when I really kind of sat with what I saw as the most important things in relationships, I started with safety. Hmm. So STRONG, the model is an acronym, and it stands for what I saw as the six most essential qualities of a healthy relationship. Woo-hoo. Look, being in the behavior health space, I know how frustrating it can be to not know the current status of your insurance reimbursements or even how much you will get reimbursed. Illuminate Billing Advocates is championing better behavior health billing through their tools like their dashboard that provide full transparency into your claim cycle. Check out more at illuminatebilling.com. 
you know, when we are working with couples and, you know, the goal is health, right? Yeah. I mean, the goal of working with anybody individually or as a couple is health. What is health? And so this was my way of kind of working backwards from the answer is I wanted to find, well, what is health? What is the answer? And so I came up with STRONG as the acronym. Yeah, I like that. It's very strength-based, very affirmative. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're deficit-based and deficit-focused. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that you used a very empowering word. And yeah. we've got some time. So let's let's dig yeah. into your model, if you're okay sure. with that. Sure, absolutely. Because I'm excited to, to hear about your model. So STRONG, S is safety. And so as it relates to relationships, how do you mm-hmm. see safety? So with safety, I actually break it down into four, I call them the four S's of safety. And the first one is self-awareness, right? And so, you know, before even starting couples therapy, often there's some individual therapy that could be useful, right? Because one of the things I saw that damages the safety of relationships is when people either because they're not self-aware, they're impacting their relationship negatively. So they don't really know how to get out of it because they don't really know what they're doing to get themselves into a negative place in the first place. Does that make yeah, sense? No, yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And, yeah, you know, with relationships, you bring a version of yourself into that relationship and all, the, all the baggage of your previous relationships and then mm-hmm. you know, whatever you saw in your own family as far as relationships. And so totally, there's a lot that you bring into that. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is awareness. But I think you know, awareness as it relates to yourself in the relationship, but awareness of yourself as a person, who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer of self-concept as well. And just mm-hmm. having a really firm understanding of who you are, uh, I think mm-hmm. is just really important. And part of the reason why that is important is because we get these messages all the time about who other people think we are, or other entities, mm-hmm. and we have to sift through that. And it's exhausting mm-hmm. if you don't have a secure self-concept to be constantly sifting through this material or this new information and trying to decide what's accurate and what's not accurate. Absolutely. Also, what I also cover with self-awareness with people is kind of what you're saying is sometimes in our society, um, there's kind of this just idea that everybody should be in a romantic relationship. Mm. And often what I saw with couples that were struggling with safety was that they couldn't quite articulate why they were in the relationship they were in. And so the commitment was fairly low because if you're not really aware of this is the relationship I want to be in, this is why I want to be in it, and this is the partner I'm choosing intentionally because I'm aware of who I am and what I want, then it always comes into question every time there's some kind of fight or argument. So that's the first part of safety is you have to know why you're doing the thing. Otherwise, there's no commitment. The next part of safety is stability. And that's basic life skills. You know, in couples, often, you know, a big thing that people fight about is like chores and finances and sometimes just basic life skills. Mm -hmm. And so really figuring out, you know, what does this couple need to feel stable, right? And it's different for everybody. You know, for some people, they can feel stable traveling around the world, living in a van. For other people, they really want, you know, this type of home, this type of community. But a lot of couples don't even have that conversation, right? It's like when you're in the limerent stage and you're falling in love and everyone's Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, it's just going to be amazing. And Esther Peral has this really gorgeous quote that I love that I use for this is not every love story is a life story. 
Mm. And that's where I see so many couples struggle to make that transition between we're falling in love to now we're actually having the stability to build a life together that works for both of us. Yeah. And it sounds like that conversation is best had prior to mm-hmm. joining a long-term commitment. If it hasn't, that's okay. It's probably never too late, right? Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. it needs to be had. And, you know, sometimes in a relationship, it's, you know, there's a romantic involvement, but sometimes it's it's like having a roommate too. And so and exactly some of those little yeah. things, you know, just kind of need to be worked out. And for some mm-hmm. people, I'm not one of those people, but I know someone who is. For some people, if something's out of place or something's not done in a certain way, it causes them stress, right? And they may Mm -hmm. not even say anything about it, but it's like this internal thing that can build up. Absolutely. And and that's something that also, you know, when you add more things to the mix, let's say you add a pet and then you add Mm -hmm. children and then you add, you know, maybe two careers or maybe your in-laws come to stay, you know, having an understanding of what you both need to feel stable in the relationship gives you a point to come back to when things get rocked. Because, you know, if you're going to be with somebody for the rest of your life, things are going to happen, right? You're going to have illness, there's going to be maybe job changes, there's going to be house changes. So every time you have some level of instability in your circumstances, you know, the couple can feel the impact of that, unless you have the language to talk about the stability of your couple. I like that. So you've got self-awareness and stability. I'm assuming we got another S word coming, right? Yes, I've got two more. <laughs> um, the The next one is self-regulation, which mm-hmm. is actually so the one of the big reasons I chose the word strong as my acronym is because my passion population is men, specifically kind of hyper-masculine men. So I've worked with veterans, first responders. So I wanted a word that really emphasized, you know, strength. But one of the main things that I saw with with that population was how self-regulation or the lack of self-regulation leads to problems in the relationship. And just one of the realities of the world is that men are stronger than women physically. And often what I saw in relationships, in heterosexual relationships specifically, where women would feel unsafe is when their partner had temper that they did not know how to control. Mm. So the lack of ability for a man to self-regulate led to a lot of insecurity and lack of safety for the female partner in the relationship. I find that in relationships, usually there's one person in the relationship who they want to deal with conflict right now, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's totally. usually another person. What I find is the avoider and it's Absolutely. opposites attract. Right. And it can still be worked through, but if one person's always trying to deal with the conflict, the other person's trying to avoid the conflict, it's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's something I say um, is that as a therapist, kind of half of the work I do is help couples have high stakes conversations in a safe way. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly it. When people don't know how to self-regulate, you know, either they get so activated, they get angry and they want to push the other person away or they get really anxious and they start wanting to, you know, come here, let's resolve it. Let's resolve it. Um, And it becomes this like pursuer distancer cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, self-regulation like, skills is huge. Yeah. And that yeah. has to be compromised on both sides, right? Like they both mm-hmm. have to give up something for that conversation to be successful. Self-regulation is, you know, sometimes as simple as just taking a break yeah. and then structuring the conversation in a different way so that it, you're not pushing each other's buttons. Yeah. 
Right. You can't fully u- utilize your cortex if you're not regulated, right? Exactly. And that's where exactly. logic is. That's where reason is. And mm-hmm. that's that's important, especially in those mm-hmm. high stakes conversations that you just Absolutely. mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really interesting because a big part of self-regulation, just as especially as it pertains to your work, is that it improves performance. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like the Navy SEALs, um, you know, doing any kind of martial arts, being a being a pro athlete, a lot of it is about learning to regulate your breathing, learning to regulate your nervous system so that you can stay focused and that you don't get triggered because when you get triggered, you make mistakes. Yeah, that's absolutely Correct. And what I encourage people to do, because oftentimes I have clients who work on those skills and become very successful at regulating themselves and being in their window of performance when it comes to a sport or business, but in their relationship, something that they say is more important than their business, more important than their sport. When it comes to their relationship, they don't put that same effort. Exactly. And I want people to perform in their relationships, just like I want people to perform in sports and business and maybe even more so, right? Because- Mm -hmm. If that's something that you say is the most important thing in your life, I want you to, I want you to crush that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something I always like to highlight again with the strengths focus model is, you know, especially with a lot of the population I work with, I'm like, you already know how to do this. You do this every day at your job. You don't go off on every customer. You don't go (laughs) off on everybody that, you know, like, you know how to do this. It's just about applying the same skills you already have and then being able to apply it in your home life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The level of emotionality is a little bit different, right? When yeah. When it comes to your relationship, like things sting mm-hmm. a little more, like you, you, you love deeper, but things hurt a little more too on the other mm-hmm. side as well. Totally. So then that kind of leads to the last S, which is self-expression. So safe self-expression. And that's where, you know, normalizing all emotions are just information. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all they are. Getting angry is information about something. Being frustrated is information about something. Being sad, information. This is, you know, so again, reframing emotions from something that we avoid to something that we embrace because it's telling us something about ourselves, right? Yeah. And knowledge is power. So yeah. if we ignore emotion, we're just ignoring half of our experience. Yeah, and I think that's, for some people, the message is probably allow yourself to feel and express, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. on the flip side, when someone is expressing emotions, don't cut them off either or tell mm-hmm. them that's bad, but learn from that. And like you were saying, it's data. So what, what is that emotion telling me about what's going on and what they might be mm-hmm. thinking? Is that kind of logical side? Absolutely. And then also, you know, when no emotions are off limits, then the only thing that we pay attention to and we work on is the safe expression of that emotion, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's sometimes a misconception that if you're angry, you have to show it by like flipping tables and yelling and slamming doors. It's like, no, if we say that the emotion is valid, but it's the expression that needs to be modified, you can say, I'm really angry because blank, and you're actually sending the message a lot more effectively, right? Yeah. If emotions are information for connection, information for improvement, then make sure your message doesn't get lost in your delivery. We're making some progress here, right? <laughs> so, making some progress. so we've got the S taken care of. Uh, mm-hmm. There's still strong left. Yes, right? yes. So, so what's uh, next? So T is trust, which again, a lot of people, they start there when you ask them like what's the most important thing in a relationship lots of people say trust you cannot trust somebody you don't feel safe with 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, so safety is first and then trust. And trust, I this is where I talk about attachment styles, right? Because our ability to trust others comes from what we learned about the trustworthiness of people from when we were young, right? If we grew up in a home where we did not have consistent and stable and reliable caregivers, that impacts how we see other people in the world. And so trust is, um, I do a lot of work about, you know, family of origin, understanding attachment styles, looking back at past relationships and attachment injuries in previous relationships. And then in the couple's work, you know, if I'm working with a couple is also teaching steps to repair, right? Because rupture will happen in a relationship, but part of maintaining trust is saying, I, I will commit to repairing this rupture with you. Yeah, trust, trust is huge, right? And mm-hmm. I would imagine that, I don't know what the percentage is, but probably a high percentage of people who are looking for marriage counseling come your way because of some lack of trust. And often that's where, you know, I, I go back to sometimes the lack of trust is because there is no safety in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes, and I really like my semantics being really clear about often I see a lot of people that have trust issues in relationships. And when they bring it into couples therapy, it's because they're conflating the terms belief and trust. Trust is earned. Belief is given. Belief is like faith. Hmm. You can just give it to somebody, right? If they're like, you know, Hey, can I borrow 50 bucks? You're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to, you know, when you have a credit score, it's like they, it's not operating on a belief system. It's, are you trustworthy of paying this back? Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to trust because it opens up a lot of emotional vulnerability. You know, the more Mm -hmm. that you trust and the more that you trust in a relationship, and then if Mm -hmm. something were to happen, I think that creates a lot of fear for people because it's very vulnerable, right? To trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of why I also turn it back around and say, you know, if somebody presents with trust issues, I often start with how much can you trust yourself? Mm. Right? Because in order to be vulnerable with somebody else, you also have to trust that you can have your own back if things go sideways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And Yeah. And so that self-trust is often kind of the missing piece in the couples therapy or yeah we want to look at the trustworthiness of another person but also do you trust yourself to make a hard decision if this other person turns out to not be trustworthy mm. yeah that's, that's huge so what's next next is respect okay. the r is for respect so mutual respect in a healthy relationship um, and this is also where we talk about boundaries a lot boundaries create respect that's that's pretty much respect is, you know, you have to respect yourself, um, which again, it goes back to the, do you know what your boundaries are? And values inform boundaries. So especially for, I I say for men, because my book is for men and my Mm -hmm. passion population is men, you know, knowing who you are and what you stand for and what your core values are, then allows you to create healthy boundaries. And it also empowers you to to protect other people's boundaries. Because if you're somebody that operates with respect, it's going to default into the way you inhabit yourself in the world and interact with others. Yeah, especially, and we've talked about this before, but especially if you are in a position where everywhere you go, you're in a position of leadership. So everywhere Mm -hmm. you go, 
people treat you with respect, whether it be artificial or like a true respect. Like if you navigate your world and everyone treats you with a high level of respect and then in your home, you feel like you don't get that same level, there's a big incongruency there. Well, and that's actually something I do talk about too, which is the difference between commanding and demanding respect. When somebody commands respect, it's because they are in command of themselves, right? Mm. And so that's where I go back to, do you have a core value system that you can always come back to as I have self-respect? Because otherwise you will over rely on demanding respect because of your position. Mm. I'm the man of this house. I'm the boss here. I'm, yeah. you know, hierarchical. That, yeah. That's where it becomes about demanding as opposed to commanding. Yeah, and I, I, w- I would imagine that it's difficult to navigate certain conversations where a spouse doesn't feel like a person is holding up their end of the bargain, right? And to the point where mm-hmm. they lose respect or they don't respect the person the same way. So then therefore they don't treat them with respect and the other partner saying, hey, you need to respect me. That doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where it would be like, well, when you look at your own actions, do you respect who you see? that's a mic dropper right there yeah. i think that's where again it's not about because when you put a lot of effort towards making sure other people respect you and you have to constantly demand it yeah, uh, yeah you also kind of erode respect for yourself when you have yeah. to act like that right should probably come a little more natural right like if you're always yeah. demanding respect everywhere you go, you probably should look in the mirror, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, some of the most, the people that have a lot of presence, they don't have to do anything except yeah. walk into the room with gravity because mm. they are in command of themselves. You know, it's the yeah. person that walks into the room and, and he's like, you know, or she or whoever is like, yeah. do you know who I am? Do you right. know who I am? And you're like, yeah, we don't care, buddy, because <laughs> you having to do that tells me that you're not really worth respecting because yeah. you're having to kind of throw your weight around a little bit. You know, I think we've all been around those people or worked for those people, right? Who throw, totally. their, throw their title around, you know, they've got yeah. some type of like formal authority and yeah. they thrive on that power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. And even use that as a way of managing people, managing through fear and different things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting because in my book, I talk about, you know, alphas, the original study on alphas. And first of all, that study was debunked, right? They were like, oh, the strongest, most powerful wolf is the alpha of the pack. And Mm. anyway, it totally got debunked. But if you look at primates, which, you know, humans are primates Mm. rather than wolves, (laughs) um, you actually see that the the true alphas, the one that ha- the ones that have long-standing power, are different than bully alphas. So there are bully alphas that bully their mm-hmm. way to the top, but they have a very precarious reign because they have to constantly be on guard. Because the minute there's a stronger ape in town, their reign is over. Yeah. Whereas the ones that actually are respected by the community where they share food and they're able to comfort the lower ranking, you know, females and break up conflicts between lower ranking males. They are the ones that actually maintain their power longer, maintain their position longer past the point that they're physically able to defend their position. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thanks Thanks for sharing that. The researcher on that, his name is Franz DeWall. If you're interested in looking it up, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. That's a great, that's a great point. 
Yeah. Okay. We're halfway. Okay. We're halfway through. And so here's here's the thing: is that in working with couples, any couple that comes in a crisis is usually struggling with the first half, the yeah. STR. Yeah. Right. So this is basic relationship survival skills. You have to have safety. You have to have trust. You have to have respect, or you don't have a relationship. I'm glad that you put it that way. And it's the first three words because kind of like the foundation, like my model has a foundation. This is your model. The STR is the foundation. Yeah. You have to have that first and then you build on on top of that, right? And so- Exactly. Yeah, so now we're going to yeah. build on that. So what's next? Yes. So the ONG is about thriving. So STR is surviving, yeah. ONG is thriving. O like is that. openness, openness, adaptability. I mean, so again, even just thinking about evolution, adaptability is the key to sustainability right? Often what happens with couples, and it's really interesting, is that, you know, they get married, and it's like, okay, now we can stop paying attention to each other and stop mm. being curious about the other person, because yeah. we married them, we know who they are, they're done. I'm like, yeah. well, no, the person that anyone is going to be in the next decade is going to be different than the person they are today, right. right? And one of the things that I found, and it's really fascinating, again, this population of individuals in this country right now that has the highest highest rate of divorce is people over 50. Interesting. And what I see often is that, you know, it gets to the point in their relationship where they've grown apart because they haven't been open with each other about the changes they've continued to make as people. Yeah, that's a good point. So, how, how do you do that? Like that, what you're saying makes sense, like you should do that, but what's the process mm -hmm. of doing that? That might be a long answer, but how, how do you do that? Well, a, a lot of it is, and this is where it's, it's really interesting, because a lot of it is about continuing to be open to hearing each other. And this is where I often really dig into communication skills mm -hmm. okay. with couples. Um, being open to hearing about your partner's perspective in a relationship is one of those things that I think a lot of people just don't do. Yeah. But opening a conversation of like, hey, how am I doing as a partner? Yeah. Are you having a good time here? Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, vulnerable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, allowing people to grow as well, right? I mean, mm -hmm. think throughout a relationship, you, uh, you have new interests, new hobbies, mm -hmm. you you know, grow into sometimes a, a different person. It doesn't mean you can't mm -hmm. grow together, right? But absolutely, you know, we're talking about decades, right? Of relationships. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're mm -hmm. going to be a different person at the end than you are at the beginning, right? And I think a lot of times people get stuck in like, no, you're this person uh, because this is the person mm -hmm. that I, I married. Okay, we have to give people the opportunity to to grow. Absolutely. And I think that's also really a thing that keeps get, gets people stuck in stagnation in their relationship. I call it the villain on the couch mm. is they just have this idea of who their partner is as somebody who is incompatible with their new version of themselves. So, you know, maybe people will come in and they think that they need to get divorced or they need to leave the relationship because they don't believe that their partner can change. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I have this new hobby. I have this new interest. I think I'm going to have to leave my relationship in order to pursue this new thing because I don't think my partner is open to it. Yeah. And so, you know, working with people and saying, look, openness is crucial in a healthy relationship. Because also, if somebody says like, 
I'm done growing at age 25 or the day I got married was the day I stopped growing. That's also just not healthy, (laughs) you know? So really looking at, look, you're going to continue to grow. How can we keep an open mind in this relationship so you can continue to see your partner with new eyes and not be threatened by that? So it doesn't feel, yeah, threatening. I like the word threat that you use because I often see insecurities around that because a person in a relationship is moving in a direction and Mm -hmm. someone else in that relationship may be a little more stagnant and Mm -hmm. they see this other person growing or doing this or trying a new thing and they're they they're stuck you know sometimes it's due Mm -hmm. to like mental health issues i've seen that too like Mm -hmm. it causes people to feel stuck but then there's in their mind there's a larger discrepancy between where they're at in life and where their partner Mm -hmm. is and it just Mm -hmm. leads to a lot of insecurities and almost becomes like a a self-fulfilling prophecy Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Also, you know, in the very beginning of a relationship, one of the things that keeps love really exciting or, you know, makes people fall in love is how many new things they get to do together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so when a couple comes in and, you know, they're they, maybe they are safe together, they trust each other, they have respect, but they just feel stagnant. They feel like, okay, is this it? Like, you know, we just continue to exist in the same house together Mm -hmm. until eventually one of us dies like that doesn't seem awesome you know is well let's then infuse a little bit more novelty into the relationship remember when you were open to doing new things and every day wasn't just groundhog day where you did the same thing and you did the same walk around the block and you Mm -hmm. you know watch the same show is be open to new experiences be actively looking for new things because that also helps you to experience your partner differently. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially as you start having kids and you start getting mm-hmm. into routines and routines provide safety and security, mm-hmm. but also it causes monotony and, and boredom. Mm-hmm. And then you picture that couple sitting at the dinner table for 30 minutes, just talking about the food and the weather, because there's like nothing exactly. else to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love working with openness because I'm like, look, there's so much possibility here, yeah. you know? Yeah there's worlds to discover in your relationship. Uh, there's this beautiful quote, it's by Thich Nhat Hanh. And he talks about, he says, you know, if you think you know another person, you're wrong because inside each person is a universe to discover. Yeah, I like that. People are not done. Continue to be curious, be open, embrace change. The next one, the N is kind of then what, what do you do with this information? And N is nurturing. And this is something that, again, working with men, you know, nurturing tends to be sometimes shunted to like, oh, that's a a woman thing. Mm. Um, So I was really trying to break it down because I'm like, nurturing is so important in a healthy relationship. And what I found was that, you know, nurturing and maintenance get gender divided, right? It's like many men are happy to claim they're very good at maintenance, but they can't do the nurturing thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of the same thing, except maintenance is about keeping something running versus nurturing is about keeping something alive. Mm. So, you know, you have these skills of maintenance, but nurturing is maintenance 2.0, because it's not just about checking things off a list, right? And like, check, check, water the plants. Yes, yes, yes. It's Mm. about then actually paying attention to the thing. And I think everyone in a relationship wants to feel cared for to a certain extent, mm-hmm. right? 100%. Yeah. And that's where, again, that nurturing is about paying attention to the needs of the 
again, the organism, right? And I like to think of the relationship as something, it's something that's alive, yeah. right? Um, and that's not something you can read in a book, right? It's like, if you read a book and you're like, well, this has no instructions on what to do when my partner's sick. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know how to do this, yeah. right? But nurturing is about saying, well, I'm an active invested participant. So I'm going to show up. I saw this joke one time where a wife was sick and the man was like, well, I want to help, you know, let me know how I can help. And the wife was said, pick up your phone, call my mom. <laughs> that's, yeah. And that's the, and that, that's, that's the kind of mentality that you see kind mm -hmm. of in, in media. And that, you know, people joke about it all the time too. Mm -hmm. And just, I think through that, sometimes men get kind of a bad rap. Absolutely. You know, they're not, they're not capable, right. Of, of caring for the partner. Mm -hmm. Which is also, again, where I'm, I think that's incredibly disrespectful and it also one of the one of the big reasons that I think nurturing is so important, which is why I put it in this model, is because it if men are quote unquote not nurturing, it destroys their capability to form bonds with their children. Mm. Right? Mm. Because one of the things that I mean research bears this out, and I put it is that when people have these strict gender roles, the men in those families are less connected to their children, they feel less impactful in their children's upbringing, and they make fewer decisions about their children's lives. And so that then impacts when their children leave home, or if the family, if they get divorced, often what ends up happening is that the dad will then become estranged from the children, because mm -hmm. he's already been placed in this position that he's not the nurturer, mom is the default nurturer. Yeah. So the children will go to her and dad's kind of this like, on the outside babysitting every once in a while, which is again, incredibly disrespectful, and it ruins families. It, it really does. And it ruins men's relationships with their children. Yeah, unfortunately, you see that perpetuated all the time in TV shows and in the media, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. dads are just kind of seen as aloof, uh, absolutely not taken seriously, kind of a goofball, and just not able to do certain things, right? And you mm -hmm. see that constantly in, in sitcoms and different things like that. Absolutely. And that's where, again, I, you know, I make sure to call both partners onto the mat here, right? Yeah. yeah. Because you know, for the women, I'm like, if you really believe that this man has no life skills, why did you choose him to be the father of your children? Yeah. Right. So one of these things is not true. Yeah. And like, sir, if you can run a company, <laughs> why can't you? And you can remember like all of these different things that, yeah. you know, you're handling. Why can't you remember your ch child's teacher's name? You know, let's was, not let's not play this game, friends. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, and that was probably that was probably an, an ouch moment uh, for some people listening. Which yeah. it's, it's a good ouch moment because you know you value what you put your time, energy, resources, mm -hmm. right? Like that's mm -hmm. how you communicate what you value. Mm -hmm. You can say whatever you want, but just mm -hmm. watch someone. And if exactly. you're excelling at work and you're organized and you you can remember things and you're mm -hmm. invested you're showing everybody that you are capable of this, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you are not doing that at home, then it just mm -hmm. questions your investment at that point. Exactly, exactly. And that's also where, you know, preface with my work with couples, I always tell them like, my client is your relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to call out what you're doing that's either nurturing or draining to the relationship yeah. and what you're doing that's nurturing or draining to the relationship. Because often that's what I see with nurturing is that 
it becomes this power struggle of people trying to shift the load onto the other person. Like they want all the benefits without any of the responsibility. And I'm like, that's just not, I mean, no, nothing in life is like that. (laughs) You know, it's not a thing. So. So you're calling people out sometimes in therapy. Sometimes I have to, you know. No, no, exactly. No, people need that for sure. And I think a lot of times in couples therapy, I feel like there's always a partner who feels like the therapist is on one side or the other, you know, kind of based Mm -hmm. on their responses or uh, how they're pushing everything forward. And it sounds like you're very intentional uh, about Mm -hmm. letting them know that neither one of them is your main focus or purpose. It's Mm -hmm. the relationship. Absolutely. Which is part of the reason I created this model is because then I can always make sure to call back to that. Right. Is, you know, maybe one session, somebody's like, you picked on me the whole time. And the other Mm -hmm. session, someone's like, you picked on me the whole time. Um, Whose side are you on? And I can always go back to, I'm on the side of health. This is my model for health. Again, I'm, I'm only one therapist. There's lots of other therapists that have different approaches, but I will always come back to this. And if you're doing something that's getting in the way, you're going to get called out. (laughs) You're doing so. That also helps me also maintain objectivity. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. You have a source document to go back to as well. Exactly. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that helps me also stay accountable to myself and yeah. the work that I, that I yeah, do. Cause you're yeah. a human, right? <laughs> and so exactly. Yeah. You know, there's always uh, you know, I think that sometimes there's a pull that we have to fight off and mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. helps you to, to fight off that pull. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The reason I think it's really important for men to embrace the fact that they can be nurturing is because of right now the mental health crisis with men and depression and loneliness Mm -hmm. is often because they really, we haven't given men the encouragement, the skills and tools that they need to even just nurture their friendships, Mm -hmm. right? We, there's often, I, I have, you know, clients who describe like, you know, hanging out with their guy friends, but feeling like they're not really getting that depth of connection and nobody kind of knows how to break the ice first, you know? Um, And it's incredibly sad because there's a loneliness crisis that's happening right now for men. And a huge part of it is simply, if you don't see yourself as nurturing, if you don't believe that you have those skills, you're, you're not going to be able to, to form deep, satisfying, connected friendships. Fortunately or unfortunately for my friends, I'm a therapist. And so yeah, yeah. They, they can't get around. And I always remind mm-hmm. them too. They're, I'm like, you know, I'm a therapist. I got to ask, right? And just kind of check in with them and, mm-hmm. and have certain conversations with them. And mm-hmm. I hope they appreciate it. Sometimes they mm-hmm. they may be annoyed by it or or other things. But I think, I think overall, I think that they appreciate. And if you think about the people in our lives, you know, how often do we get those real genuine check-ins from, from the mm-hmm. people around us, right? We just live life. We don't really check in about life. And so being able to slow things down, even as a man and saying, Hey man, how are you? A hundred percent. And I think also that this is part of where I see sometimes conflict between, you know, genders as a whole in society is if men are socialized that women are the only sources of nurturing and care, then they become incredibly dependent on finding a woman to be in their life. And they get incredibly angry and frustrated when they can't find a woman to be that source of care and nurturing. And so that's also a big part of it is like, you know, nurturing male friendships where 
men can have each other's backs. Yeah. Again, not saying that you don't still want a romantic partner, but then you're not just, you know, having this entire well of need that you want to then focus into a woman. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's nurturing. And so next, yes, yeah. final one. Now, now we're at the G. <laughs> now we're at G. Now we're at generosity. Um, generosity is what I like to call sometimes the fairy dust of the relationship. You know, yeah. it's like strong, uh, S-T-O-R-N is like the meat and potatoes. And then G is that that little something else, you know, yeah. because and actually it's funny because when I was writing this book and I was creating this model when I asked couples I always ask couples in the first session um if I was magic and I could wave my magic mm -hmm. wand and your relationship could be different what would be different and most people express something like we would just be kinder to each mm -hmm. other you know like yeah. we just wouldn't be on edge all the time and you know we would assume the best of each other mm -hmm. um and so you know strong didn't sound quite right with the k at the end with kindness so I <laughs> So I just change it to generosity because that's really what it is. It's that sense of like, I'm I'm choosing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm choosing, you know, to take out the trash, even though I could leave it for you. I'm going to make the generous choice and, and do it because that's the generous thing to do. Yeah. Right. It's those little tiny things that make all the difference in how a relationship feels. Yeah. Keeping score probably uh, goes against generosity mm -hmm. huh? and i think that's Absolutely. where a lot of relationships get into trouble is they keep score mm -hmm. and the trash is there and every mm -hmm. both partners are looking at it like oh, it's their turn i'm just gonna wait and see how long it takes <laughs> exactly. right, for the person to take it out but you're yeah. saying a gener generous approach would be saying hey i care mm -hmm. about this person you know we mm -hmm. may not be you know in a perfect situation right now we may be struggling with certain things but I married this person for a reason and I love mm -hmm. and care for this person. So I'm going to do something generous mm -hmm. and not expect something in return. Cause that's something that happens too. You do something mm -hmm. right now. It's your turn. Right. And now ex mm -hmm. you expect something or sometimes you even expect, cause I'll warn people when you do something generous, sometimes it won't even be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. If you are going to do generous things, do it for the sake of being generous. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's a reason I put it at the end and not the beginning is because if you're Googling, right, or if you're just like looking pop psychology, like how do I fix mm -hmm. my relationship? Often a lot of the messaging out there is about starting with G. Be kinder mm -hmm. to your partner, do mm -hmm. nice things for them. And I'm like, but you don't want to be generous with somebody you don't feel safe with. You yeah. don't want to be generous with somebody you don't trust. You don't be generous with, you know, someone you don't respect. Yeah. So part of true generosity what i work with couples on is you cannot be generous if you are starving so mm. a big part of this is also self-care right are you being generous and kind with yourself often people in relationships not just men but um, focus on men is you know this kind of happy wife happy life approach mm -hmm. where they're like well my job is to then just be generous to the point of self-neglect and self-sacrificing mm. and i'm like that's not generosity that's self-neglect <laughs> yeah. true generosity is coming from a place of abundance right because then you don't have to keep score because if you feel safe you feel trustworthy you feel trusted you are respected you know you're open with each other you're nurturing it's easy to take out the trash yeah you know yeah that makes a lot of sense so that's really what the generosity piece. And also, again, going back to science and, you know, I always like to make sure everything I have is mm -hmm. data based. There's this really awesome 
organization called the Human Generosity Project. And it did a ton of research about just different societies, communities, you know, evolution. It's just, it's got amazing research. And what they found was generosity is different than reciprocity, right? Reciprocity, reciprocal altruism mm -hmm. is I'll scratch your back, you scratch mm -hmm. mine. It's tit for tat. Mm -hmm. And what they found was those, those societies that operated on that one-to-one -one basis were much more conflictual and less cohesive. Communities where there was a sense of generosity, where it was like, it's, you know, I'll share with you and don't even worry about it. Right. Yeah. Um, because we're, we're, we're a community, we're family, we're a tribe, we're, you know, we have each other's back, we're neighbors. Um, we're I'm doing this because it's for the good of all of us, right? When I thrive, you thrive. When we all thrive together, our community gets better. And it's interesting because, so after doing all that research, what they found was that the communities that operated from a generosity standpoint were always stronger and always more thriving than ones that operated on a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah, that's such amazing information. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I'm glad that you have a model. <laughs> and I say that half joking, but I do talk to couples therapists sometimes who don't have a model. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you have a model and it's very well thought out. And I've learned quite a bit in our time together. How can people find out more about your model? I have a private practice in Austin. Um, you can read about my model on my website. And I also came out with a book and you can order the book on this website. It's just www.strong.love. Awesome. So. That's great. You have a book, right? So, um, I cause I'm like, I have so many other questions, um, yeah. you know, about the model and about some of the things that we discussed. So I'm glad there's a reference that I can go to. And, uh, also I'm glad that I have a reference that I can suggest to clients who may be struggling with some of these things. So, uh, I'm so happy that you have this book uh, available to people. The title of the book is Strong, A Relationship Field Guide for the Modern Man. Um, because one of the things I found is that there are a lot of resources out there for women, directed mm. to women. Um, and there just wasn't that same wealth of resources available for men. And so this book is, I call it a field guide because it really is kind of like the cliff notes of kind of like what we did in this podcast of like yeah. little bits and hopefully there are lots more questions. But in the book, I also then give um, lots of references, lots of bibliography. Um, and then on my website, strong.love, you can see everything I find, any new research, any new books that come out that are important for relational health. Um, I just stick it all on the website. So hopefully it'll be an ongoing thing. Well, Crystal, thanks for taking the time to be on this podcast and writing this book too. I think you're helping a lot of people. And so keep up the good work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. This has been really fun. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.